Welcome to Move the District, where you can find the best ways to stay healthy, stay moving, and stay informed in Washington, D.C. Now, more than ever, we have a wealth of information and opportunities to live the high-performance, pain-free life that we want. My name is Dr. Mike Yasson, and my goal is to show you the backstories behind the individuals and businesses that provide these opportunities for everyone, no matter who you are. Now, let's move. Move the District is sponsored by Big League Performance and Rehab. At Big League Performance and Rehab, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active during the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better. Head to BigLeaguePerformanceAndRehab.com to see how we can help you stay active for life. All right, the time has come. Welcome back to episode 50. We've made it to the big 5-0. I can't believe we've made it here. Uh, a year a year ago, I recorded three episodes because iTunes uh, requires you to do three episodes minimum just so that you don't record one-off podcast. And I thought, well, let's see how this goes. And sure enough, here we are 50 episodes later. So Thank you for all those of you who have been listening from day one or have tuned in along the way. Uh, Today, we got an awesome episode for you. I am super pumped to introduce to you guys Reka Ayalor. She's a certified kettlebell instructor and strength conditioning coach based right here in the DMV. Reka, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm excited. This is episode 50. 50. This is golden 50, right? We, yeah. we established that 50 is the golden anniversary. Yeah, I don't Although have to someone, confirm that. Yeah. Whoever someone will celebrated probably, a 50th anniversary can confer, confirm that for us. Yeah, I got a few more years to go before I before I get to that point. <laughs> so, uh, and you you as well. So, yeah. unfortunately, we're not experts in that. But yeah, I think yeah. what's like, there's like the tin anniversary. There's like a bronze anniversary. I don't know. But Did you say uh, tin? Tin, yeah, like tin is like I don't know, like the three year anniversary, something like that. There's like a wood really? anniversary. I don't know. No don't way. Know. People were giving each other tin for tin. As I think tin used to be like a commodity back in the days. Now really? we just think of it as like you know what our like table is made out of. I guess I don't know. Can you imagine um, a guy giving a girl a piece of wood for <laughs> the anniversary? Like, like well, just like, like a, a two wood. by four. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine it's like a wood sculpture or like. You know, like a <laughs> like a jewelry box or or a table or, a, or something okay. something wood <laughs> like <most> that. Sense. <laughs> not just oh, here's not a, a two- tin can. <laughs> yeah, not a like a tin can or a or a two by four. Although that's, that's like fun. all those like politicians who've been like, oh, we're supporting Home Depot by by, by uh, buying the two by four. I don't know if you saw like what's his name? Um, what's that no. guy? Uh, ben Shapiro. He was like, oh yeah, support Home Depot. He holds like a two by four in a in a plastic shopping bag, and I was like, "What are you doing, man? Like, what, what are you really? Doing? That's a thing. <laughs> that was a thing. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I try not to get Stay too involved odd. with uh, conservative social media, but uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what they were. That's what that's what was happening. I forget what the reason was behind it, but um, okay. but yeah, no, I, I am not. I don't plan on giving uh, Megan a two by four for her anniversary. Okay. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe like maybe a jewel box. Yeah. Maybe a jewel box or, or something, you know, like that, like a, a di- like a table. I don't know. An end, t- an yeah. end table. Anyway, enough <laughs> about uh, anniversary gifts. Uh, I'm, I'm super pumped to have you on the show here. Uh, I feel like, you know, you've gotten yourself into this awesome niche here in terms of, of kettlebell training. And, and it's something that we've never really talked about in the show. So I'm pumped to kind of dive into your story here and really learn about your journey into fitness and then into kettlebells. So let's, let's cool. get started with, you know, your story, how did you make your way into the the world of fitness? Oh, wow. So that goes back a little while. Um, Uh I, um, you know, growing up, I was always kind of athletic in ways. Like we used to play outside and stuff, if you consider that athletic. But um, in high school, I started running track. And so, So that kind of like introduced me to the world of sports and um, all of that. And then, so I ran in college as well. And uh, I was mostly like an 800 and 1500 runner. And then I ran cross country too, which I hated. Um, It's 
a miserable sport. So cross country <laughs> just, as a whole, or the fact that like those events were miserable, like, like the 1500 was like cross country as a whole, man. I mean that just back. So back when I ran it, it was 3.1 miles. I think they've actually increased it now. I want to say it's like five. I want to say it's five miles now for girls, which there's no way I would do that. Oh God. But, um, <laughs> 3.1 miles. Why, why'd you, in, why'd you do it? It was required. So anything from the 800 and up was considered distance. Uh-huh. And, um, so the dis- entire distance team had to run cross country. It was kind of like our prep for track. So, um, it was our, if you want to call it like a preseason, it was kind of our preseason to track. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'd start practices in like July and August when it was like 250 degrees outside. And I, I remember just sidebar, we used to go to this open field and um do mile repeats on this open field when it was like 110 degrees outside not even and on the track not even no, on the track no <laughs> and we had to run there run the miles run back so oh it was it was yeah it was rough um but anyway so hold, hold so on a second. 800 is cool but the 1500 not cool or the 800 the, is the, not cool anymore i mean the 800 is like essentially a sprint now yes. like there are girls, guys too. Um, but girls, cause I can relate to the times <clears throat> that are running like under two minutes for their 800s now. And that's like high school kids that are running under two minutes, which is insane. So it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine like running a 60 second 400 twice, you don't even stop, you know? So no, I think it takes me like two, one, like two minutes just to get around the track one time. Yeah. <laughs> just shuffling. <laughs> Exactly. Just kind of just, just making my way around. And then I get to the, I get around and I'm just like, uh, that's it. Just yeah. clock me out. Yeah. Um, but, but then, so, so then you jumped, so you were doing the cross country as a prep for the track track. Yeah. And um, then, and then, so that was, you know, throughout college. And then I was like over it once college ended, I was like, Oh my gosh, if I don't ever put on a pair of running shoes, I'd be perfectly fine. So you suffered through four years of school. Of running. Yeah. It's a lot. It well, it was, you know, I think it was just, it was mentally draining because it was schoolwork plus three seasons a year of running, you know, and then you had to go to practice twice a day. We still had to get all of our academics in. We had to go to, we had mandatory study hall hours. So it was just a lot. And so in hindsight, I look back at it now and I'm like, it was a great experience, but I probably would have loved a real college experience and just being a normal kid in college would have been nice. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's like I having a full-time in, job. So ex- yeah, exactly. But I still keep in contact with a lot of the girls that I ran with. So <clears throat> that's been nice. I mean, that's, that was our, our group of friends in college though. So. Right. Do you yeah. have, do they all have the similar, uh, burnout that you experienced? No. Um, one girl actually went on to, um, <clears throat> she took some years off. All of us, I think took some years off. Um, she actually, uh, interestingly enough formed like a cake pop company, um, which oh. were amazing, like delicious. And then she got back into like quit that and oh. got back into running and her times were like amazing. And she still runs now. Um, so, and then, a couple of the other girls run, um, not competitively, but still run pretty consistently. I think there's like a half and half, like half of us don't run at all anymore. And I, you know, in the, when the weather's like this, like I'll definitely get on the track and do some track workouts, but not mile repeats. <laughs> <Definitely> <laughs> all right. So then when did the, the transition to more strength conditioning, when did that happen? So we were always required to do strength training as part of track. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I've told this story to uh, some people in the past, but my high school weight training coach was amazing. I mean, he was, um, I didn't realize this at the time because as a 16, 17 year old kid, like, what do I know? But um, <clears throat> he actually was a strength coach at University of Maryland as well when he was with us. And I grew up in Alexandria, so I'm local. So, um, he would come work at the school and then after school, he would drive up to Maryland and go coach, um, the football team or do strength training work for the football team. So he 
trained us and taught us very well from the beginning. So we learned foundations from a pro, you know, like someone that knew what he was doing. And so, um, so then going into college, I had to do, we were required to do strength training work there too. And then when I got out of college, I had a pretty good base of knowledge in strength training. And so I kept, um, kept at it then, and then kind of transitioned from there into doing kettlebell work. And I think there's a misconception from people just through social media that I don't do any barbell work anymore. And I actually do. Uh, I just don't post it because it's not, I mean, nobody really wants to see me doing back squats or, you know, (laughs) anything like that. So the kettlebell work just looks cooler. So yeah, there's enough people doing squats on Instagram, I think. So that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't aspire to be like a, a booty model either. So like, that's, that's not my goal. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Use the, use the kettlebells instead. Exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, so that was kind of my transition in. Um, and, you know, I didn't really know about kettlebells at all until 2009-ish, 8, 9. Um, I was working out at a sport and health um, in the area. And there were two coaches there who... Um, were training with kettlebells and I was just kind of watching them every time I went in there and I was like, Oh, that looks pretty interesting. And, um, talk to them about it. And now knowing, I didn't know this at the time because I had no idea uh, about kettlebells, but, um, they both were actually RKC trained under Pavel. So they were like old school RKC. And, um, so again, kind of just happened to land into people that knew what they were doing and um learn to use kettlebells and that was in 2009 and i just cut kind of kept going with it uh-huh so. what what was it about kettlebells that interested you um i think just the way that like the fluidity of the movement i think it's like to me it feels very athletic and yeah. um i just liked that about it like well it, that and also um <clears throat> I don't, I, it, like it's an easy tool to use. Well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> it's not an easy tool to use. It is um, easy to travel with it. Like it's, I can take a 12 kilogram bell and pack it in my car and go wherever. You know, I can't take a squat rack in the car with me. Although during COVID there was this, um, this guy that used to come into Navy Yard by the water all the time. And he had, he or she, I think it was a he though, um, would bring a U-Haul truck that was packed with a squat rack, you know, a sled, <laughs> all this stuff. And unpack I think it that guy is a member lot. at District CrossFit. I think I know exactly oh, who you're really? talking about. <laughs> That's so funny, yeah. Yes, I think so, I, and he would work out at the on the green right there at Navy Yard. Yes, yeah. Yes. So, uh, so he may disagree with me that you so he can't travel with, you. with your squat rack, but <laughs> he probably had some kettlebells mixed in there as well, though. Probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that and then as I kind of got into kettlebells a little bit more, I, I appreciated the ability to use it toward, for people who are um, doing rehab type work um, mm-hmm. and for injury prevention and stuff like that. I think it's an, so. <clears throat> I don't want to say that you can't use barbells for those purposes, but I think it's easier to use a kettlebell for some of those purposes. So, and I think you would probably agree with me that on that, because I see you using it a lot on your Instagram with a lot of your clients. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think, I think kettlebells are a great tool that I've, you know, learned to implement over the years. Um, It's yeah, definitely something that I don't necessarily have the formal training like you have in it. It's probably something that I probably should do. But I think that it definitely plays a role in helping, you know, just challenge the body in different ways. I think, like you, I think you said, like it helps you feel like a, when you, when you do it right, it helps you feel athletic. And there's like a yeah. certain degree of coordination that I think goes into it, or or shouldn't say that coordination goes into it, but it's a way of developing coordination mm-hmm. um, that yeah. I think can can definitely help people. And it, you know, you can develop your power, you can develop strength, you can develop stability. 
uh, I, you know, I think it, it kind of checks all those boxes, you know, depending on the purpose you're using the, the kettlebell for, right? Yeah, and I also think that like, uh, for people who are not in the fitness world per se, it's less intimidating. The tool is less intimidating than <clears throat> asking them to do something with a barbell. Um, you know, it's easier for you to put a kettlebell in front of someone and say, okay, you're, I'm going to teach you how to deadlift this five times versus let me strap weight onto a bar and I'm going to show you how to deadlift this. To me, I personally think that it's less intimidating. And I think especially with, <clears throat> and I don't want to sound like, I don't know, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but I think especially for women and women who are older, um, I think tend to shy away from a lot of the strength training work. And so it's, I think it's easier to convince them to use a kettlebell versus a barbell. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, historically, I mean, I think, you know, you know how, you know, women have just been afraid, have been discouraged from, from, from lifting heavy weights. And so, yeah, I think you, you, you tend to see that hesitancy with a lot of, uh, with more females. And I, I see it in the, with, with the male population as well, but probably more with the female population. And I think the kettlebell is just a more achievable thing, you know, to put mm -hmm. a, a, a 12 kilogram kettlebell in someone's hand you know, versus giving them a barbell, even just an unloaded barbell, just, it's just less wieldy. Right. And, and I yeah. think people kind of say like, Oh, well, this is just a, a kettlebell and they hold it up and they can hold it up. And, and then a little do they know that it's a gateway drug to the rest of everything else. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A gateway drug. I like that. <laughs> I, that that's, I, that's, I think that's kind of how I see it. And, and at times how I use it, you know, for someone who, you know, might have a history of, of, you know, chronic lower back pain and they've never deadlifted or, or, you know, haven't been able to deadlift, you know, I'll, I'll give them that kettlebell first, depending on the person, maybe 24 kilogram kettlebell, depending on the person, you know, and, and say, how can, you know, let's do this. Let's see how this goes. And then from there, maybe I progress them to a, a trap bar or the barbell and depending on what their goal is. And, and then you can build up from there. You know, I think that's a great way to start segueing people, getting them more comfortable with lifting some load just because of, you know, how the kettlebell is designed really, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's, I mean, <clears throat> I do think it's a, I, I think you worded it correctly by saying it's a gateway drug. It's like the perfect gateway drug for drug <laughs> for, uh, for lifters, you know, or for people that are new to the lifting world. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think you're the, probably like a, a pretty good example of that in terms of there's so much, like what I talk what I'm talking about is really the tip of the iceberg and what you've gone down becoming RKC, you know, certified and everything. I think that takes it and then really develops it. And you get a solid understanding of really what you can actually accomplish. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, Expl for sure. Well, go ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that, like, I, I think it's also, you know, since I've been doing this since, let's say, 2009, I also kind of treat my facility and my own personal training as a lab, you know, and <clears throat> I think oftentimes when people go to strength trainers or PTs or whoever, they expect you to know everything and they expect you to figure out their body and how to fix things, you know, and and improve something and make them more coordinated, make their balance better, make whatever happen that they're, whatever their desire is, <clears throat> they're expecting it. They're expecting you to know the answer to it. And a lot of the times I tell my clients, like, I might not know the answer to it right now, but we'll, I'll figure it out. I mean, we'll work together to kind of figure it out. And right. through years of kind of being in the lab, like I know certain things work for certain people and I'll say, okay, well, you know, if you have this going on or you want to improve this, well, let's work on this because I, I know this to work. Maybe it doesn't work for you. And maybe we've tried it out and it doesn't work. And then we move on to something else and figure out if that works too. So, right. Yeah. I, I think that that experience, I think is what gives people, helps you ultimately become more successful with your clients. Yeah. Because I think, you know, for me, I work with a lot of people in the DC fitness community, whether it's Orange Theory or Cut7 
boombox, you know, one, any, one of these local, you know, any, any kind of you know, hit style class, work with a lot of those people. And they all have different demands, whether it's boxing, whether it's cycling, whether it's yoga. And I want to know exactly what they're going through. So I got to take the class and, and understand yeah. what the demands are of that, of that workout, you know, and, and yep. that way you're able to understand really what it is that they need to get back to where they want to do or, or get better at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> some of like my clients, I have a few clients who are like tennis players and um, I have, you know, one guy who's an avid runner and then pretty much all of them play some type of sport. And so just understanding even like, you know, I'm not a tennis player. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like enjoy tennis. So, you know, but to each his own. Um, so not even really like me being good at the game, but understanding body mechanics well enough to train them properly. You know, I understand the mechanics of how you swing a racket, what's required to generate that force to get that ball from point A to point B. So I can help you then get better at that swing or get better at running across the court and cutting, you know? Right. So you won't get injured or so that you're quicker on your feet. Yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever run a, an ultra marathon, but somehow I've, <laughs> I've ended up working with numerous ultra marathoners and yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll ever know what it's like to be on mile 50 of a race, but I can. You're at on least... mile 50 of your podcast. Uh, I oh, bet you didn't think you could be there. <laughs> good one. Good one. I like it. Uh, yeah, but I, I'll, I'll never know, you know, what it's like to be a mile 50 of a race. Uh, but I know what goes into distance running and I know what goes, you know, yeah. running as, as a whole. And, and that ultimately is what w- will help me work with that client so that they can run an ultra marathon. And, uh, God, who runs 50 miles? That's a long freaking time. Is uh, an ultra a hundred? So I think an ultra is actually defined as anything longer than 26.2 miles. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I think so. Yeah, there's no way. What the official? Yeah, no, I don't think I'll ever no. run a marathon. Period. Uh, but that being said, I work with a lot of, of of running clients, and and yeah, I can run a few miles. I can run three, five, six miles. But when it comes to doing something like twenty six point two miles, something I'll never do. But I understand what goes into distance running. I understand the biomechanics. I understand the training components, and and that is ultimately what I think will help people get better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also, you know, I don't think that, um, a lot, you know, if you break down sports, right. A lot of them, unless you're, let's say like a rower where you're not on your feet. Um, a lot of them require kind of the same mechanics of the body, you know, like you have to have a strong foundation. So, you know, like on my Instagram, I post a lot about the feet because I'm like a big believer in the foot and foot mechanics and getting a strong foot. Because yes, I think, I, it, I do believe that it works up the chain. And a lot of the times when you have people who are weak in an upper extremity, it's usually because their foot's weak and their foundation's weak. So, you know, my point is just that like most sports start with the foot. And if you can get that person strong enough in their foot, most of the time they get better at their sport in some way. And it could be like small incremental improvements in whatever they're doing, whether it's their time in, in distance running or, you know, how quickly they're able to cut if they're a lacrosse player or a tennis player or whatever. But, you know, I think a lot of the sports kind of come together right. um, in many ways. And then they differentiate in, it's kind of like, you know, are you, you're familiar with the FMS, like the FMS triangle sure. and how you build the base foundation and then you go up to sports specific skills after that. Right. Right. So it's kind of the same where you, you build the foundation. Brings me to my question. Do you believe in sports specific, like quote unquote, sports specific training? Is there such thing as sports specific training? So that's interesting. I, so yes and no, I do. But I don't believe that a lot of people are at a point where they can do sport specific training. And I'll explain. So (laughs) I think that when you're talking about, you know, someone who is a pro athlete, so an NBA player, 
you know, and like a WNBA player, like someone that's at that level, right? I think a lot of those people still need foundation work and sports specific work too. <clears throat> There's a group somewhere in the middle where they're not pro athletes, but they're pretty conditioned, right? So they, mm -hmm. they are at a point where they've built a very strong foundation. They still need to work a little bit on skill to get to a higher level. Right. And then I think it's your gen pop who is playing recreational sport type activities. Like I play tennis at a country club or, you know, something like that where their foundation in most cases that I've seen, and I could be proven wrong, but in most cases, their foundation is not there. And they are focusing way too much on sport specific skill when they have no foundation. And usually when I'm talking about foundation, I'm talking about the foot. I'm talking about just general strength, you know, like just is your, movement. yeah, exactly. Is your core able to support you pitching 70 miles an hour all weekend long for eight mm -hmm. games, you know, right. probably not. So, you know, what are you doing to build that foundation first before you start working on pitching mechanics? Like you don't need to work on pitching mechanics because you don't even have a foundation yet. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, so yes it's interesting no. <laughs> that I think, um, I think Eric Cressy, he uses the term uh, playing for the tie. And he talks about uh, using like, you know, heavy bilateral work, like squats, deadlift, things like that, which like for baseball players, for example, reduces like your rotational capacity. Mm -hmm. But um, then you add those things into the program as a way of kind of offsetting that drop off where like you're building that foundation, but then you're able to still, you know, give them what they need. So I think it, it kind of goes hand in hand where it's like, Yes, there are sports specific things, but at the end of the day, like a squat is a squat and like yeah. that's, you know, or deadlifts a deadlift. And like, those are how you're going to get stronger, whether you're a baseball player, a basketball player, a tennis player, a golfer, whatever it might be, you're going to do those to get you stronger. Like there's only, you know, a handful of ways to, to, you know, really actually get you stronger. And it's not doing, you know, single leg balancing on an upside down BOSU ball while yeah. you're juggling with your eyes closed. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you see some shit out there on Instagram, man. Like, I mean, you just, you, you see some shit out there and, oh, yeah. and you're just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Like, well, and the sad thing is you see like some pro athletes. The, doing that's stuff that's, like that's that the too. thing. It's always the pro athletes. You always yeah. see the pro athletes with the just most absurd things. And like, I saw, like, I think it was a couple of years ago or maybe it was a year ago. Like, what's his name? Antonio Brown. He was doing something before he had all his meltdowns last year. Uh, he was <laughs> training with the, the move you guys from Instagram. And I was like, and they have him like oh. on one leg, like activating his glute with like special glasses on. And I'm like catching ball. I'm like, what are we doing here? Let's, like let's 3D lift. glasses? Yeah, like 3D glasses. And <laughs> I, I remember, I remember this is one of my first jobs after undergrad before I went to PT school. I just finished working with the Yankees and I went to go work at this uh, performance gym inside of an ice rink where I worked with a lot of ice hockey players. And they were really big at the time. Nike had just released these shutter glasses. They were like, and they would like flicker. And it was a way of improving your hand-eye coordination. And the whole idea was like to give them to goalies or to wide receivers or even baseball players. And it was supposed to help people like develop hand-eye coordination. And this was 10 years ago. And there's a reason why you don't hear about it today. Cause my, Wait, so they're glasses and they're just constantly like, like almost like a shutter on a, uh, like a camera? shutter. Exactly. Exactly. Nike, Nike, and no these. one like vomited from motion sickness. Like what is this? No, <laughs> no. But at the same time though, you didn't really like use them. Cause it was like, when do we use them? And you're like, Oh, we're yes. training. And I'm like, but I'd rather like get someone a kettlebell or a barbell or something like that to have them actually get stronger instead of like being like, all right, stand on one leg. I'm going to throw this ball at you. And, yeah. and I'm like, this isn't, you know, maybe this is more for uh, like the technical side of things that we do during practice, but there's, I think there's a reason why we don't see these things uh, and why, why they never became mainstream. And I'm, I have a feeling Nike doesn't make them anymore. But well, it's interesting you bring up ice hockey because I actually um, train an ice hockey player and she just, you know, through conversations or whatever that we've had, it's interesting because a lot of um, ice hockey coaches and players don't believe in strength training and you think about it their foot is in a boot for however many hours a day during practice during games just all the time they're like locking their ankle into place yep. constantly 
And they develop these upper extremity issues, knee issues, hip issues, whatever. And they're like unrelated, has nothing to do with the fact that we're in a boot all day with our foot strapped and ankle not being able to move. Yes. And, you know, they kind of just, okay, moving on. Like, we'll figure it out. Not important. You don't need your knee <laughs> and hip, you know? Yeah. There, there was definitely uh, a resistance from, from, from some people in terms of like strength training and like hockey players are notorious for having poor ankle mobility for sure. Just yeah. overall just yeah. poor for, foot strength and mobility. Cause yeah, when your boot, when your feet are in those ice skates, you, those puppies are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, as a result, like ankle mobility is just awful and yeah, it, it ends up affecting everything up the chain. And uh, yeah, it kind of goes back to what you're saying. Like, start with and i feel like the foot is like almost like one of those like low-hanging fruits too yeah where 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 yeah you know maybe you have like a chronic knee issue chronic you know i i think with with rehab you try and address all the low-hanging fruits mm-hmm. first like yeah not even you know related to movement or biomechanics is like you know things like sleep stress management things like that but like cleaning up a using your your, your intrinsic foot muscles things like that creating an arch in your foot is something you can do like right away. It's basically just, you know, I mean, obviously more goes into it than this, but just tell them to take their shoes off and start yeah. being like, Hey, use your feet. Yeah. <laughs> there are definitely yeah. times there definitely, there was a, uh, it was like, I think it was last week. I had a guy in here that had an issue with uh, knee pain and I noticed he had some like overpronation in his foot. And so I had him doing a, a single leg RDL with a band pulling his ankle into, um, pronation. So he was mm-hmm. going to you know, activate to create that arch in his foot. And he, he's like, I feel it's all on my foot. I was like, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, should I feel this on my hip or my knee? I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, you might feel it in your hip, you know, cause we're doing it's an RDL, but I was like, you should expect to feel this in your foot. He's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. yeah, you know, it just engaged his foot more. And, and as a result, then it had better carryover just to create that stable base for him to, I think he was a runner, you know, to, to be able to run better. And yeah. uh, obviously there's more follow-up that goes into it from there, but um, that's the idea. Yeah. Um, I had similar it, situation. I have a client that I'm training now who's, um, you know, when I first started, he he's actually training for his RKC. And so um, when he first came in to see me, I was like, shoes off. We're going to barefoot train every day. You come in here and he's actually gotten really good about barefoot training on his own, but you know, we've been working on a lot of like rudimentary hops and just like single leg stick, like hop and stick and um, some like um, toe dexterity drills and stuff like that. Um, And he's actually, he was like, if you imagine like a flat pancake, I mean, he was like his like zero arch and Uh he comes in now and he's like, I've created an arch and it's, it's exciting for him. He's like, look at this, I've got an arch. And I'm like, yeah, see what you can do with your foot when you actually like use it and grip the floor. There you (laughs) go. Teach it, (laughs) teach it to actually be used. Yeah, exactly. I I think that's, yeah. People, you know, we, we walk around in our big clunky, you know, shoes all day and and yeah, we forget how to use, use our feet. Uh, who knew the, the feet were the, uh, the, I don't know, the gates to the soul. There we go. There we go. Yeah. We just went, we just went big there. Gates to the yeah. soul. That's, that's what our, we had are. a gateway drug and now we're gates to the soul. So yes, <laughs> kettlebells and feet, just yeah. gates for a happier, better life. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there happy you go. feet, happy feet. The title happy of the podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, talk a little bit about the RKC. Uh, I don't know if people are necessarily familiar with what that is. Sure. Um, so back in the day, there was Pablo Satsalin, who was, uh, I think a lot of people know who he is. He's a kettlebell guru kind of guy. I've had his Joe Rogan podcast, uh, sent to me by patients no less than a dozen times. Oh, really? Yeah. Just to, to listen Just like, to. oh, Hey, did you listen to this guy? He's like the kettlebell guy. Listen to, listen to this podcast. Yeah. And I've gotten it no less than a dozen times. Yeah. Like, okay. You're like, thanks. Listen to it already. Okay. Already listen thanks. To it. Yeah, exactly. After the first time I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. yep. Uh, so he and John Duquesne formed RKC back in like the early 2000s at some point. Long story short, they split. Pavel now leads Strong First, which is another certification. RKC is the, the other one. Uh, they are exactly the same. It's just so the teaching methods, 
all of the certification, all that is the same. So um, all it is, is it's three days. It used to be three days. Let me correct that. It's now two days of a pretty intense certification. So you go through, so each person, so let's say you're taking it. I would guess just based on your age and your weight that you would, your test weight would be a 24 kilogram bill. So you have to snatch it a hundred times. You have to strict press it, do a get up with it. Uh, goblet squat, swing, single hand swing. And then for two days, that becomes like your training weight. So they'll have you, they'll, it's a lot of technique during the course, but then they'll say, okay, well, we're going to teach you proper mechanics of a get up. And then you go off and do a get up. There's also a big part of the course where you, so let's say you and I were partnered up. Um, I would give you a made up scenario. So I would say, Hey, Mike, uh, I want to lose 25 pounds and you'd have to come up with a program for me to lose 25 pounds. And then you present that to the class. And then someone from some rando from off the street comes in and that person may or may not have any kettlebell experience and you have to put a program together for them and train them on a certain movement. So it's really, there's two aspects of it. Can you perform the movement? Can you teach someone how to perform the movement? And can you program going, leaving these doors? Right. So it's pretty intense. I, you know, I, I think people think that it is um, doable just by watching YouTube videos. And it's really not. I mean, it's, I, when I took mine, I went home every day and like raided the refrigerator and just ate everything in there because you're just literally, I mean, you're burning like thousands of calories a day just by having this tool, this implement in oh your hand God. for eight hours. So it's pretty grueling. Like what, how, how important do you think it is to walk the walk and talk the talk like that in terms of, you know, having to like, be able to do a hundred kettlebell snatches, a hundred kettlebell cleans, all those things, all those movements to, to be able to be certified. How important do you think that is? I don't, I don't necessarily agree, agree with the hundred snatches. Cause I think it's a lot of the times it's a deterrent for people who um, really want to take it and mm -hmm. can't necessarily perform that. So for instance, let's say that you are, um, 55 years old and are making a career transition and you're like, you know what? I want to leave the world of finance and I want to go into training people. Well, <clears throat> maybe you don't necessarily want to snatch the kettlebell a hundred times, you know, or so, so I guess what I'm trying to get at is it sh that doesn't really have a bearing on you being able to teach it. That's the only thing you do a hundred times. Like the, oh, it's the only swing, the, the okay. clean. Yeah. The okay. swing, the clean, all that you just do five times in, okay. in like a test. Okay. So those are doable. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like, and, and trust me, I've been to some RKCs where I've seen people do a hundred snatches and it's not pretty sometimes. I mean, they are just getting that bell up in any way they can. So it, that doesn't equate to them understanding how to do the movement and how to teach the movement, how to cue it. So I think the focus should probably be on that more okay. and giving yeah. people the tools they need to come out of there and actually instruct with precision. Yeah. I, I think that's ultimately the biggest thing. I think a lot of times, you, you know, you always, I think strength coaches really get a bad rep for the guys you see on ESPN and the big college football programs who are like, there's the total just meatheads that just you know are breaking sticks on their back and, and things <laughs> like that and slapping each other and headbutting people in helmets and and yeah i think you know there's like this perception that like you got to be this big meathead uh person to be to be a strength coach in reality you don't you know it, it's like yeah. you said it's more on being able to coach and and talk people and cue and program than it is how much weight can you squat yeah well and that's why i don't think that just getting that. And I tell people this all the time. If you're going to get your cert and do nothing except coach someone after, don't get it. You have to make this part of your life. Like you have to train with it because the only reason I know how to 
cue someone or coach someone is because I understand how my body is working to move this implement. Right. And that's true of barbells or a swim coach or whatever. Like you have to understand how your body moves and then be able to translate, translate that to someone else and say, this is how your body should move in this movement or how, what you should feel when you're doing this. Obviously that's, you know, dependent on the person, they may feel something different, but like a general sense of when you're doing a snatch, are your feet evenly pressing into the ground or is your weight distributed unevenly? You know, when you're doing a snatch, are you using your feet and your hips? Are you pulling up with your arm? So like stuff like that, to be able to catch that and cue people through it. Right. Cause yeah, I I think, you know, I think it's important to be able to, if someone's doing a snatch, like you should be able to do a snatch doesn't mean you necessarily have to be doing a snatch with 200 pounds in the bar, but you should be able to take someone through a squat, through a deadlift, through a, through a snatch, through, you know, through these movements. I don't necessarily subscribe to the method, the the thought that you have to be this big meathead person because Mm -hmm. unfortunately that's how I think the profession has been portrayed in the media. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, um, Anyway, let's, uh, you've, you've become a boxer, uh, recently. Oh. <laughs> Have I become a boxer though? I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, word. I don't I, think the boxing community has accepted me. As the a boxing boxer community yet. has not accepted you yet. <laughs> Talk, tell us a little bit about your, your, your foray into boxing here recently. Uh, well, uh, so, you know, I, I started boxing with Reggie, who, you know, yes. pretty well, Friend Reggie was on the show. Yeah, Friend of the program, Reggie Smith. Podcast episode, you know, 25 or I don't know what number he was. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I started boxing with him probably in uh, 2017-ish. And man, did I suck. Oh, <laughs> I was horrible. I mean, he, he'll sometimes send me videos that he took of me back, at, back then. And I'm like, please burn this. Like, I don't want to ever I- see this again. I think every day, every day that I go on social media, I get a sponsored ad from Boombox Boxing, even though yeah. I'm a loyal customer already. <laughs> and I get a video of you hitting a bag. Really? Looking like a, bad, looking like a badass, man. I think it's you. I think it's you in, yeah, the, in the ad. Yeah, there is one of me. Yeah. You know, I don't get those ads. They must not target me. I think they know you're, you're already in. You're already committed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, I get a video of you. I think every day I see you hitting the bag, looking like a badass, man. And, uh, and, and yeah, so, so yeah, you, you've, you've come through from the beginning and now do you feel like you've found yourself in, in terms of like being, uh, involved with boxing? I definitely love it. It's a, it's a really cool sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it reminds me a lot of, I don't know if you're a golfer, but, and I know people are gonna be like golf and boxing. How are those related? But you know how technical golf is. And like, if your tee shot is even like an inch off or maybe not your tee shot, cause you have room for error there, but like, you know, one of your other shots, it's so precise in the movements. Yeah. And there's so many ways to get the ball to your end. Right. And I feel like that's the same with boxing. It's like, you're constantly reading the person that's across from you and constantly having to think of what is my foot doing? What is my right arm doing? How am I throwing this punch? Like, did I lean into it enough? Am I engaging my lat that all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure with time, just like with golfing, it becomes something you don't think about as much. Right. And that be- might be true of any sport. I just use golf. Cause I know that I equally sucked at golf um, <laughs> and got slightly better as I went on, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fun sport and I've been trying to um, commit myself to practicing more every day. Not every uh-huh. day. I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't lie on this. Cause Most. I'm sure Reggie will be listening, but <laughs> <laughs> Most days. at least a couple days a week. Yeah. At this point now, like you've been boxing for four years, who's the better boxer? You or Reggie? Come on, like hands down, <laughs> Reggie. Well, no, no, no. no. Like, like when he was four, when he was four years in versus you four years in. Uh, probably still Reggie. Yeah, I mean, there's no way. There's yeah, I, I have 
so far. I, I will say to my credit, I have come very far. Like, I mean, if I did a side by side of where I was then to where I am now, it's unrecognizable. Sounds like, like a good I, TikTok, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, no, that should be a, no, that should be a TikTok. I don't know if you I have, have to have like the confidence of, I don't know who, someone who has very high confidence to post one of those old videos. Like those things are getting burned. They're taking, getting taken to the grave with me. Kind of like, kind of like my original podcasts. They're still <laughs> exactly. up, but, but they're getting burned as well. <laughs> I feel you on that. All right. So we are, we're running out of time here. So I got a few more questions for you. Sure. Uh, what's the, uh, what's the last book you've read? Or reading? Oh, I just finished one yesterday. Uh, okay. So I'm a big uh, true crime, like mystery type person. Okay. And so um, I've been kind of into Greg Olson, who I don't know if you're familiar with, but um, I forget the name of the book. I think it was the um, girl next to me or something like that. I don't know. It was an interesting okay. book, but yeah. All right. Just nice. finished it though, yesterday. All right. <laughs> what, uh, what are you watching on, uh, on TV these days? Oh, I don't have anything. I just started the um, the DC Sniper uh, documentary, actually, the one that's on Vice. Oh, is that? I out started now? that this weekend. Yeah, it just came out like last week. I think there's a new episode on on Mondays, so this might okay. be the second one today. I've also been getting sponsored ads for that DC Sniper. Oh, really? And, and you and you boxing. So um, you have weird. Uh, just, just tells you what, what, of- what, what I got going on. A lot of violence, boxing and uh, sniper. And the DC sniper, exactly. <laughs> What's your exactly. Google feed, man? Oh, you don't want to. You don't want to know. <laughs> uh, but you should check out uh, Mayor of Easttown. That's like the big show right now on HBO. True crime oh, set in really? outside of Philly. Um, oh, I recommend Mayor of Easttown. I'm going to check Mayor, that out. M A R E. Yeah, Mayor of Easttown. Oh, HBO. okay. Okay. Um, yeah. What's uh? So you you are. Born and raised here in the DMV? Born in New York. I was born in Brooklyn um, and didn't live there for long. So we lived there for like three years and then moved to Alexandria. So so raised in the DMV here. What's something that everybody should experience one time here uh, in the DMV area? Uh... Cherry blossoms would be too cheesy, right? I mean, that's the cherry that's, blossoms that's are really... Yeah, gave me it's a little more grit than that. It's got, gosh. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm on like, what is that? Like uh, that show where you're like, pass, next question, pass. And you, and you can't say <laughs> boombox boxing either. No, I, uh, no, I don't... What's I'm pretty like, sure that was what Reggie like said. I'm pretty sure that's what Reggie Reggie was like, come take a class at boombox with me. I was like, nah, boo. <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh, man that's a tough question you know it's hard because you get jaded like living in the city for so long you're like ah, it sucks there's nothing to do here you know um i don't know you know that's that's a t- i mean the food scene is good so you got someone museums, coming to visit you obviously you, you got someone coming to visit you what's uh-huh. one place you're like oh i gotta bring you here and it can't be like the mall can it be the museums no it can't be the museums come on uh, can't be chair. I mean, what's, what's left? Like, I don't know. I would take you tell me. You're, you're the lifelong resident here. I don't know. I mean, that's a tough question. What was your answer to that? What would my question, my, I, I, I still am not paid by them, but I will, I will bring every single guest to the salt line. The salt line is my go-to spot. You're obsessed with the salt line, aren't you? I am yeah. obsessed. You know that. Well, that's yes. a restaurant. Like you chose a restaurant. I chose I a restaurant. Take- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I'd probably go down to Georgetown if it's a okay. nice day out. Um, grab a cupcake from Baked and Wired. There you go. And walk down towards the water and hang out down there. Boom. Georgetown Waterfront. There you go. That's yeah. a nice little thing. No go. one's ever said that before. I like that. Okay. That was good. Okay. Yeah. Good. That was a good one. That's a, yeah. a classic uh, kind of like go-to thing. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. And, uh, and then you stop off at Tony and Joe's, have a drink there and, uh, sure. and enjoy, yeah. the, enjoy the, all the boats coming in. I always like to watch all like the boats coming in. And then like, you watch everyone like get off the boat and like stumble as they like come up, come back onto the, onto land. Or the people that just dock and just get drunk docked and like try to look cool as people walk by. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your, this is, this is a question that I don't know if it started with Angela and Reggie or, or, or not, but what's your favorite burger in DC? I think my answer is going to be the same as Reggie's actually it's capital burger. And you said salt line and I'm salt like, line. no man, wrong answer. <laughs> I mean, I love salt line. I love salt line, but capital burger has the best burger in town. It's pretty good. I don't me wrong. I think it, it's got, it's definitely got a good burger, but the salt line is still my go-to. Really? I actually, I actually went and got it after after that podcast, and I had it. It was good, but I, I but think salt the, line is like that's seafood. You got to stay with what they're known for, you know. Yeah, that's what that what makes them not only the best burger but the best restaurant in town is that they just can do everything. They can do seafood. They can do a burger. They got great. No, drink. I guess my point is, I go to the salt line to eat seafood. Like I go yeah. there to get oysters and. You know, like I'm not gonna try a burger there. Like, but, but what if you're not in the mood for seafood? That's like going to a sushi restaurant and being like, "I'll have the pasta." You know, it's like no. <laughs> <laughs> they're known for the sushi, <laughs> but they're also known for their burger. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll try it out next time. Try, I'm... just try, just try it, and try it. and let me know what you think because you're you're gonna you're gonna thank me. We'll just say okay, that. Okay, I I will try it. I will try it. We'll do it. We'll do a blind taste test one day. Yes. That's what I need to do. Yeah. That's ultimately what I yeah. need to do to really yeah. prove my loyalty to the salt line. Yeah, you uh, should. We'll do that. I'm going to set that up somehow. Yes. All right, Reka, <laughs> we are out of time. If people want to connect with you, where, how can they find you? So I'm on social media, obviously I'm on Instagram. Uh, my name is super easy to spell. I'm joking. It's R-E-K-H-A underscore I-L-U-R. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I, do people still use Facebook or is that really I do. old? I don't okay. know. Okay. So I'm on I mean, Facebook I, I, too. I don't necessarily use it for social media purposes, but I use it more for business, purposes. but still, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. And then uh, my email, you can always shoot me an email. It's A-Y-A-L-U-R and then another R at Gmail. Boom. So this was Perfect. fun, Mike. Thanks so much. Yes. I, I'm Thank very, you for coming uh, on. Uh, this here. was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Rega. Have Rekha. a good one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Move the District today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Big League Performance and Rehab and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free, head over to BigLeaguePerformanceAndRehab.com to learn more. Thanks, and until next time, keep moving, DC.